through um, the book of John, and it has been a, a blessed series for me. We're still in it, and so I'm, in, I'm deeply enjoying the opportunity um, to go um, through a book of this stature. Most of the Gospels, um, the synoptics uh, more specifically, they uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tend to uh, focus on specific aspects about Jesus. But John, even, John, taking nothing away from the synoptics, John has taken on a more comprehensive outlook, a more intensive outlook about the person of Christ and in his relationship, in his relationship to the Father and revealing the reality of his relationship uh, with the Father um, to us. So the first week on launch Sunday, we dived into the pre-existence of Jesus Christ um, looking at who he is uh, eternally, um, who he is before he uh, came to planet Earth wrapped in a human suit. But then after that, we look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the fact that he came from heaven to earth and came to dwell among us. Then we look at um, his relationship with him showing off his sovereignty over his relationship uh, with his disciples and knowing specific things about his disciples. Um, but then after that, we um, got into the, 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 the deal at with, with Jesus turning the water into, into wine, the first public miracle. And so all, most of that time was spent in Galilee. And so after that, we, we saw in chapter 3 where Jesus engages a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus um, represents the nation of Israel and their response to Jesus. And so he came to Jesus on the down low trying to get some info about him and trying to check out who he is and investigate who he is without anyone knowing it. So he wanted to be a secret uh, agent investigator. And so we, we, went, we went from there and, and, we, and we dove into uh, the woman um, at the well and, and we had a banging time as the Lord um, blessed through the message for us showing um, that we need to continuously draw on Jesus as the ultimate um, provider of eternal nutrients and eternal resources for our life, not just for now, but for eternity. And so now um, we come into chapter 5. We come into chapter 5, and from chapter 2 to, to chapter uh, 12 is called the book of signs. Chapter 1 is called the prologue. And then from 13 um, to about chapter 17 is called the upper room discourse. And this is, that's when Jesus is going to uh, kind of shut things down because of the imminent rejection that he's experienced and draw his disciples in a little bit closer. But right now, Jesus is at the point where he is progressively revealing himself to the nation. And so now he's in this book of signs is showing particular things about himself. The signs of God in, as it relates to the context of the book of John is built to do three things. It's built to do three things. The first thing that signs are meant to do is this, to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. That's number one. If you look at a sign and you see anything else rather than the person and the work of Jesus Christ, listen, that you missed the point of the miracle. But number two in the book of John, um, the, the, the second reason is based on chapter 1 verse 18 is Jesus does miracles in order to reveal the Father clearly uh, to us. So the first thing is Jesus wants himself to be seen as the true and living redeemer. Uh, 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 of, of all creation, but then from there, and then from there we go into seeing the fact that 
the Father is revealed through the miracles. But not only that, that's, that's number two. Number three is, number three, the reason why Jesus um, does miracles is number three is to do something real good. It's to show a picture of what things are eternally like when it comes to receiving the fact that the Father uh, created all things. And not only the Father created all things, but also that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so pointing to the way things are going to ultimately be like. So we come to a passage where we see um, after the first year of Jesus' ministry is kind of the end of his first year. And now he's diving into another miracle. And this miracle is going to be a little bit different than the ones that we've seen before. Let's read the text. It says, and it says, after these things, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, after these things, Jesus, uh, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever went first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man uh, was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him, He who was cured... It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Today what we're going to talk about reminds me, y'all know I'm a comic book freak, and so I like comic books a whole, whole, whole bunch. And um, one comic book out, out right now is Changing the Face of Comics. Um, it's Changing the Face of Comics. Um, it, it's, it's, it's called Civil War, and it's crazy. Um, in, in the universe with, with the X-Men and with Spider-Man and the Avengers, cats are choosing sides, and they're fighting against each other. And so, and so, and so one of the funny things about, about this deal is Spider-Man uh, is getting on this team of cats that's coming up. They're saying, look, 
we're going to go public with our superhero-ness so that people, we can be held accountable so that we won't trip out on the world so they don't know who we are. And, and, and now we, they, they're being drafted into public service as basically kind of like police officers. So Spider-Man takes the first initiative as the first cat to unveil his face. And, and, and right now, you got to understand, this is his boss right here. So his boss at the, at the Daily Bugle is watching this because, you know, he hates Spider-Man. And so right now, he, he looking like, I want to see who this cat is. Shut up. I, nobody better not say anything. And, and um, I couldn't play the other side slide of what he said because he said something crazy. Um, but, but what happened was is, is Spider-Man ended up um, um, taking his mask off, and all of these people um, began to take pictures of Spider-Man saying, yo, he's Peter Parker, blown away. And so not only, not only did he reveal himself um, just to his boss, but now he's putting his, his family in jeopardy by going public. In the same way Spider-Man, the same way Spider-Man is revealing himself in this comic is also the same way Jesus Christ is revealing himself in this book. Right now, remember when we talked about that Jesus is progressively taking off the mask of who he is. Right at this point in time, in, in the book of John, Jesus is going public with who he is and unmasking who he is to the nation. And so now we go to a text where Jesus is on the preamble, preamble of unmasking himself. It says, after these things, after these things, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to the temple. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, a pool which was called um, in Hebrew Bethesda, having five uh, porches. Uh, what we want to talk about today is the demands of change. The demands of change. You can shut that down. You can shut it down. Um, the demands of change. The demands of change. And so. One of the things that we see in this day, you notice that it's a day of a feast. And in the day of, of this feast, um, what happened was is everybody, about 200,000 people, a quarter of a million people would come to Jerusalem. And when they would come to Jerusalem, Jerusalem would be absolutely, unadulteratedly filled with a bunch of people. And so most of the people would make pilgrimages from all over the place, and they would sing um, the pilgrim psalms. The pilgrim psalms are those psalms from the, the, the ones in the 120s all the way up to about a 130, 140-something. And so they would go through, and they would be singing, they would be singing these psalms and, and, and singing uh, praises um, to God in a, in a dope way. And they would come up specifically for the feast. But they would go to the temple and there would be slaughtering of animals or, or based on what type of feast that it was. Now, the Bible doesn't tell what this feast is. But what's interesting about this is instead of going to the temple, Jesus makes a beeline to somewhere else. He makes a beeline to a spot that's next to the temple. Now, what's funny about this spot is it's called a pool of Bethesda. Now, there were two squares that were together, um, and, and there was a pool. And in this pool, there were like porches with steps, and there was water all, all, all down in it. And so what happened was is, 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 is people, before they would sacrifice their animals, would come down into this, into this pool, and they would clean their animals off. And so you, you can only imagine, when they're doing this so that they could be clean before they send them in the temple to sacrifice them. So you can only imagine that, that, that these sheep, because it's about a sheep gate, they're urinating. They're defecating. Um, to break that down, that's doo-doo. So, 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 so this pool was, was absolutely dirty 
and absolutely murky from the issues of, of, of these guys bringing their, bringing their sheep down to get cleaned. But then on the edges of the porch, on the edges of the porch were a bunch of invalids, a bunch of sick people, a, a bunch of blind people, people that couldn't hear. So you can only imagine what it was like around there. Um, um, it, it probably was a stench around there because a lot of these people s- sat there for periods of time. They didn't have anywhere around it to necessarily go to the bathroom. So most of them probably went to the bathroom. It was a guy that I was discipling that was an invalid. And I remember one time we were going um, going to, uh, to, to to Houston, to Nassau, and, and, and all of a sudden we thought somebody um, had gas, but it wasn't. He, he couldn't control his bowels because he was an invalid, and because of that, um, his bowels gushed out right there in the car, and it was real embarrassing to us. Well, there were people like that standing around this porch, people who couldn't control their bowels because of their paralysis, people who were blind, who, who, could, who, who couldn't see, who were falling over people, who couldn't find their way to the bathroom, and then there were other people that had people helping them by this place. Jesus chose to go to this spot where it smelt like pee, where it smelt like doo-doo, where it smelt like vomit, and where the cats here, they weren't washing, so they were smelling, listen, they were smelling as if they had been bathed before. So everybody in the world wouldn't go to this spot and engage people. People made a beeline to the temple, but instead of Jesus celebrating the feast, Jesus goes to this spot. And he says now, he says now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. Bethesda has a lot of different, different connotations, but, but the main meaning of this word is house of mercy. House of mercy. Of mercy. And one can wonder why in the world would you call a spot a house of mercy that's like that? Why would you call that a house of mercy? As a matter of fact, why would you even want to go there? But the Bible seems to say that Jesus made a beeline here. And that brings me to my first point Jesus seeks to engage the underengaged. Jesus seeks to engage the under-engaged. The passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and sometimes it's so simple that we can pass it by, but Jesus doesn't want to engage people that are already deeply engaged spiritually by someone viably. He always wants to go to the bottom of the barrel, the gutter of where people are forgotten, even the place where the people are forgotten, who are forgotten are, are forgotten about. Jesus wants to go there. And so as I was reading this text, I'm thinking about our calling here. Our calling here. Only reason people are coming, coming back to North Philly is because there's a little center city boom coming on. But what about before then, before then, when, when this neighborhood in many respects was underengaged, I remember when we first told people that we were coming over here, they said, y'all are crazy. But when I look at the scriptures, Jesus tends 
to avoid the over-engaged places and goes to the under-engaged places. Now you gotta understand this cat, this cat, it goes on and it says, and these lay a multitude, not just a few, but a multitude and a withered, uh, who were sick, people who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Uh, whoever then first, after stirring, uh, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease he was afflicted. Can you imagine a multitude of cats? We're talking about maybe a G of people all around this big porch. I mean, because it wrapped all the way around. It was, it was bigger than three Olympic-sized pools. And so you can imagine cats already stenching. See what I'm saying? And then you can all already imagine what the water smells like because there wasn't really a strong outlet for the water to let all that mess out. And so you can imagine, you can, you can hear the bubbling of the water and the blind man falls down and he dives into the water and tries to get down. Everybody starts bum rushing the water at the same time and they dip down in the water and all of their stench and all of that is in the water and all of the, what they were in with the sheep, with the sheep being in the water, they get back and then they say, dang. And then he finds his way, he finds his way back up and he got to wait to the next time of the stirring of the water so can you imagine what it smelled like when 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 thousands of people who smelt like dirt when the water began to to bubble can you imagine the whiff of the smell when these people moved down in the water and jesus chose to go there and god is calling the christian church to go to the unengaged places. I'm sick of going to church planting conferences and everybody's planting. Oh, there's a boom going on. So, that, you know, we, go, we can get, we, you can get, and they go on out and they plant in these places where there's already a buzz. Like, I, I, it trips me out when I ask guys, why are you going out there? Well, you know, um, it's an increase, you know, in the population, man. The trees are real nice out there. You know, um, I like the way they put mulch around the trees. Man, they got a super Walmart, too. And let's not blame it on them. Many of us in our lives want to go to unengaged places. And God is calling this generation, I believe, to go to the unengaged places. Calling us to go beyond the bounds of the normal places that people run through, run through. That means that we have to have more of a sacrificial lifestyle in relation to how we make our planning for our life rather than gr growing. Well, let's see what the school system is like. Let's go see. And that's all good. But, the, but at the bottom line, God wants to send us to the grimiest lands of the planet. But as I, I, was, I was thinking about this, I said, yeah, God wants us to go to unengaged places. But then I asked the text, I asked myself a question. What if we are the unengaged? What if this group of people sitting down in this room under the sound of my voice are the unengaged. And if we're the unengaged, then we have to put ourselves 
on the side of the porch of the pool of Bethesda and think about in our lives how we're unengaged. Many of us in our lives are just like these people. Our lives are unaccountable. Where we live and dwell is a stench spiritually. We're away from where God is actually working and we're on some type of sidebar place. Like these people, unengaged. I believe that this generation is engaged but unengaged. Let me explain that. It's engaged by the media. It's engaged by hip-hop. It's engaged by MTV. It's engaged by VH1. It's engaged by CD. It's engaged by a lot of things. But, but as it relates to spiritual things, as it relates to God's kingdom program, we are extremely unengaged. And so Jesus is coming to have a staunch meeting with us in order that we can be engaged. Look what the text says. The text says, it says, and a certain man, it zooms in on one dude, was there who had been sick. 38 years. Every commentator I read said 38 years or 40 years is longer than most people were living. I'm going somewhere with all this. It's, it's, it's longer than most people were living. So if you can imagine a man who was sitting there, and if the text doesn't say that he was sitting there 38 years, it just says that he was sick for a long time. But I'm pretty sure in the nature of what he's about to say that he's been sitting there for quite some time. And in sitting there for quite some time, something happened in his psyche, which we're going to go into in a second. But the Bible says after that, it says, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. There was something about this guy that showed Jesus that this cat hasn't moved for a long time. He was probably sitting there, and since he probably couldn't move, as we'll see in the text, he probably was sitting in his stuff. And the pallet, which we'll see in a second that he was sitting on, probably smelled worse than he smelled. And so Jesus, out of all the people, he could have gotten somebody that could walk. He could have gotten somebody who was just blind, who couldn't hear. But Jesus not only goes to the, the worst place, but he goes to the, one of the worst people in the worst condition in that place. Sometimes, I'm many times, I'm convicted by how I engage people, how I engage um, people. I remember I was in McDonald's right here on Broad, and man, this dude walked in. And you can, you can just tell. You can just tell. The cat walked in, and he looked at me. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, I don't feel like going through this right now. Like, <laughs> I'm like, he about to ask me for some loot. And I'm just like, dang, I'm really. And so I kind of, I, so, so I, I, I did him real dirty. I kind of, I, I went like, I went up to, like I was going to, because they always, because cats always catch me like, um, like when I'm ordering. And they want to see if I put on some money and ask me. Can, I remember one time I was in a drive-thru. I was spitfire angry. I was at the drive-thru at Checkers. 
And this dude walked up to the carryout window while I was ordering and asked me to order him something too. I'm like, this cat is wild and alive. And so I'm, so I'm, I'm, so I'm standing there at McDonald's, and so I, I did the cat like this. Um, I said, oh, you can go next. I'll let you go. I haven't decided yet. Um, and then like I, I go over and I sit down and I'm finishing up working on the message and I sit down and you know, I open my Bible. Now, let me explain something to you. Like when you go to a spot that frequents people of a certain type, if you open your Bible, that's like taking out like a bag of money and letting the money hang out and just sitting it out in the, because you know that when you got a Bible open and you look partially decent, you're going to be engaged. Jesus didn't do like I did and tried not to engage the cat, but Jesus goes in and he engages the cat. But I like how Jesus engaged him. It's interesting that Jesus uh, saw him. Jesus um, chose to chunk his time at the festival to spend time engaging this dude. But look what Jesus does at this point. He says, in 6b, what takes us to our next point, it says, do you wish to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus, that brings us to our next point. Jesus seeks to challenge the culture of our lives. <laughs> Jesus seeks to challenge the culture of our lives. I mean, can you imagine sitting there waiting for healing and Jesus coming up to you and asking you, do you want things to change? You're like, Jesus. Okay, let's, let me break this down. I got streaks in my tunic. My palate smells like a bathroom. I can't walk. You can tell that I've been here for a while, and you're going to sit here and ask me the dumbest question on the planet. Do I want to be made well? But you've got to understand Jesus. Jesus always asks people pointed questions for the purpose of our mouths exposing the distance between what he wants to do in our lives and where we actually are in our lives. And God is asking some of you all right today, do you want to get well? Now, 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 now somebody would say, well, what do you mean getting well? Well, it's funny. John uses an interesting word for well. It's, it's the word we get our word hygiene from. It's, it's, the, it's a word that means comprehensive health, health all over the place. So when Jesus was asking this man, do you want to get well? He wasn't just asking him, did he want to walk again? He was asking him something beyond the depth of his situation that he was looking at. And Jesus is asking you the same question. Matter of fact, in the, in the Septuagint, I was looking at the Septuagint the other night, and, it was, and, and this word for hygiene is utilized as a translation 
a replacement of the translation of the word from Hebrew for peace, which is shalom. So a hygiene is used in the place of shalom. Shalom, uh, uh, Tim Keller killed how he explained what shalom is like. Shalom is God rebraiding together that which was unbraided. In other words, shalom doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means comprehensively unadulterated wholeness. Wholeness, wholeness, wholeness. Every area of, of our lives are, are deeply knit and stitched together under and in line with God's kingdom threading. Shalom. And God is asking you today, do you want to get well? Somebody said, ain't nothing wrong with me. That's why you need to answer that question. Do you want to get well? Now, let, 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 let's, let's peer into why Jesus would ask a seemingly stupid question to this cat. Well, if you've been sitting out there for a long time, and every time the water's bubbled, somebody, you know, dudes, uh, you know some paralytics, they, they could just, that you know, because kind of sit there by the water, they probably got down real low. Everybody probably got at the, the lowest point that they could get. And when they heard the water bubble, they probably just rolled on in the water. You know what I'm saying? Just, just rolled on in the water. And can you imagine? Now, I was wondering, I'm like, how he get out the water? If he couldn't, I was just, just wondering. Can you imagine when, when they hear the water bubble and what, what type of noise? It would be like, I mean, it would be like Black Friday, 6 a.m., going into uh, Franklin Mills or somewhere. Ah! I mean, all these people bum-rushing the water as soon as they, they ain't, and then everybody died. The blind man, he just, he just dive in. I mean, and, 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 and the deaf dude, let's not make it fun, but just think about it. He said, tap me when the angel comes. Tap me. The deaf dude. Cause, I mean, there's all of this going on here. And Jesus says, do you want to get well, well, after a while, he probably got used to a certain type of culture. He got used, used to a culture of not getting in. <laughs> he got used to smelling like he smelled. You know, you know, my friend next door to me when I was growing up used to always smell like his house. You know, some people, they smell like their house. <laughs> you know, you're like, man, what is that? <laughs> he said, what? Man, you smell like your house all the time. How does my house smell? But he, but, 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 but the thing was, is he had been in his house so long that he became desensitized to the smell of his house. This man, this, this shocking culture of defecation, urine, smelly dudes not washing, blind people. He, I mean, he got used to being around dysfunctional people. He had gotten used to not being able to get in the pool. And so Jesus says, there's a culture here that has been developed based on your expectation not being met. And so you built your life a crutch that makes room for the lack of Jesus getting to that culture of your life. 
There are many of you in this building under the sound of my voice. Is many of us have a raggedy culture in our lives somewhere. And Jesus is coming today to say, are you willing to face that culture? Why? Because change demands some things. Let's look at what change might demand. Jesus wants to know if you really want, if we really want our lives to change. What are some things that have to happen or that we are afraid of happening if things get different? Change will demand a new disciplinary ethic. <laughs> change will demand a new disciplinary ethic. This dude hasn't walked. So if he gets, listen, the ability to walk, that means he got to work. That's a strange word nowadays. Work. Work. See, some of us like the lazy comfort zone in our lives that we've developed. And God is saying to us in Jesus' name, do you want to get well? And you're thinking, now, if Jesus does this, then I'll have to. Or I must be responsible for. In other words, you're, you're going to have to get your A game on now. And some of us been on a Z game for so long. A Z game. Help me, Holy Ghost. And God is saying... If I, if I make you well, some things are going to have to change. You're going to have to be more disciplined. You're going to have to get up earlier. This guy didn't wash. You're going to have to wash. Things are going to have to change discipline. Not only that, but change demand that unhealthy habits change. This guy, this guy had developed unhealthy habits defecating on himself. Some of us have some extremely unhealthy habits that our, invul our spiritual invalid state has made room for for so long that it doesn't bother us. But listen, when God changes this man from sitting on the stoop waiting for somebody to help him to standing up and actually walking around, he's going to be like, I can't believe I live like that. My wife, my wife and Missy, they always, they be watching some show, and, and, and Tiffy, they watch uh, this show, a Home and Garden TV. And, you know, I, I can't stand it. Every now and then, uh, you know, that's, you know, look at the color on the, you like that pink that's splashed on that? Look at that wallpaper. Look at the cup. Like, they can see the cup out of what they decorate, they can see the cup. Well, this is one show. When, oh, sisters, y'all just got skills. Um, but but this, this, this one show in particular where... They basically, I mean, you'll you look at a person, they'll be clean, smelling good, looking real nice, like, but then they'll come up to them and say, let's go in your house so that we can work on your house. And you go in, and they got stuff all the way up to the knees, and clothes, and trash. You know, I remember one time on, on Rescue 911, you know, the little animal hospital joint, the woman had cats jumping out the, I mean, just dirty. Just dirty joint. And they asked him, do you ever allow anybody to come over? He said, oh, no. 
Because inviting people over will show them their unhealthy habits. Listen, Jesus is confronting us to confront unhealthy habits. What in your life is an unhealthy habit? Matter of fact, you might not be able to answer that question. Think about that. If you've gotten used to being unhealthy for so long, you might not even be able to recognize the lack of health that you're actually in. And so what God is saying to us is God wants us to be well. He wants us to be restitched based on God's kingdom format. But many of us are scared as all get out of the kingdom. We're scared of the kingdom because the kingdom brings demands. And when the kingdom brings demands, like as being a pastor, I've learned that my life just ain't my own anymore. That was a hard thing to begin to, to, begin to deal with. And many of you, it's not just for the pastor or some pastor dudes. It's for every Christian. God wants to inconvenience our life by making us well for the purpose of him to do something in his kingdom. And many of us have been praying to God, God, I want you to take me to the next level. I feel, feel so desperate spiritually. I feel so frustrated. Well, God says, all right, beyond all that, do you want to get well? Because you want the symptoms of what the kingdom brings based on walking in the kingdom without the demands of what the kingdom demands in relation to changing your life's ethic. Change. So, 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 I gotta move. Uh, so change dem uh, demands that unhealthy habits change. But not only that, it demands you get new relationships. Listen, this guy had developed relationships with a bunch of invalid people, and when he get, if he gets well, he won't have the same relationships anymore. I mean, if he's been in this condition 38 years and hasn't been able to go into the temple and worship, that means that he's developed friends that are jacked up. And misery loves company. And some of us are codependent on some jacked up relationships and you're scared to death that God is going to call you to a new level in him and change your life by making you well. And so you avoid the question. And so God is saying to us, if, if, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, walk in, in, in my kingdom demands, there's some people that you're around has to change. Not not like somebody said, I'm around unbelievers, so that means I don't speak that. No, I'm talking about the people you look for for community. Because when you're in a community of people, you begin to develop their social habits. Like, like dude's got this thing that, look, look, look. You know, he always does, look at me. See, he does that. And so everybody around kind of develop, look, 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 you know. <laughs> So we kind of developed that community. Well, listen, if just something like that, like one time I was saying, I was like, why am I saying that? <laughs> Real simple. If you spend your time around people, you'll pick up things that you didn't mean to pick up. And God is not saying he don't want you to engage those people. He just doesn't want them to be your community. And so God is calling you out of getting from around turkeys. 
turkeys. Y'all remember the old preacher had the illustration of the eagles and the turkey. Y'all heard the story of the eagle and the turkey? Y'all ain't heard it. Y'all ain't heard it. Amen. All these turkeys around there, you know, they walk around, pop, 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 you know, whatever they do. You know, the big long neck, whatever they do. And some, and, and some, and, and, and the eagle, eagles was flying past and one ended up falling into this hen's nest. He never flew before. Little kid, chick, chickadee, chickadee. I'm messing this up, but stay with me. <laughs> and <laughs> find my way through it. And he said, man, look at these eagles going past. And he started putting out his wings. And, and the turkeys were like, man, why in the world you would want to do something like this? I mean, we get, we get food thrown to us. We get to peck the ground and tear some stuff up. I mean, why in the world would you want to be like that? And he says, because look at them. They get to go up to the mountains. They get to fly above the clouds. I wonder how they breathe up there. The turkeys wanted to keep this eagle from flying. But when the eagle began to look at himself, he opened up his wings and he had an eight, eight, eight foot wingspan. And he looked at the turkeys and they had about a three and a half foot wingspan. But the, but the eagles, kept, the, the turkeys kept telling the eagle that the, the eagle that you can't fly like them. You're just like us. And so many people in our lives have spoken spiritual death into our life. Now I'm not talking about speaking to existence and all of that. I'm talking about the Proverbs version of somebody speaking negatively to you. Let me explain that for somebody to go out of here calling in and hauling it. But, 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 but I'm saying that to say your relationships have to change. Your relationships have to change. Change demands we be open to other areas of our life changing. If Jesus changes an area of your life, are you willing for the domino effect that it's going to cause to change the other stuff that you can't even see yet? It's going to be, this is what Jesus, do you know how many things in this guy's life is going to change just by the nature of him having the ability to walk? It's a bunch of change got to take place. And, 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 and what, the reason why I'm staying on this so long is because a lot of us have bugged out views of the kingdom that are based on unhealthy, unchallenged, uncommunity-developed principles of the Bible. And so God is saying, listen, you're going to have to change your entire format of looking at the kingdom if, you, if you're going to walk with me. Change also demands that we remember the horror of our unhealthy state. When God brings you out of that unhealthy state that you're in, that's what the same thing, this guy was going to have to remember, I can't believe, you got, I mean, I can't believe that I was there in my, I can't believe that I was stood around, I doodled on myself, I, I got a pilot, I'm, I can't believe that I, I let myself get like this. Change demands that you take a survey of where God brought you from. Because if you don't take a survey, and we'll see in a minute, of where God brought you from, then you'll be back to where he brought you from, if not worse. But then he goes down, and, and then he says, the sick man answered him. This is what he says. He says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up while I am coming Another steps down before me. 
another steps down before me. Jesus' work serves to divert our attention from our preferred places of trust. Let me say that again. Jesus, Jesus' work in our lives serves to divert our attention from our preferred places of trust. What's so powerful about this is Jesus has uniquely used water through the book of John. Jesus uses water, in cha- of course, in chapter 2 to talk about to Nicodemus, us being born of water and spirit, getting cleaned off. He uses at the wedding at Cana, he uses that as, 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 as a reasoning behind changing water to wine, talking about purification and Jesus being the ultimate purifier, but bringing in the joy of the kingdom. He uses water with the Samaritan woman because the Samaritan woman was looking to draw from a physical well, but he wanted to call her to a deeper well. But here, he doesn't focus on the water. He doesn't focus on the water because to this man, the water has become an idol. He was looking not for God to use the water to heal him. He was looking to the water to heal him. Notice what he said. He says, no one could put me down. His focus is on getting put down in the water. But not the God who does work to bring healing through the water as an agent. And so what Jesus does is he backs up from utilizing the water because he wants him to focus on something or someone bigger than the water. Because of the jacked up culture we have developed in our lives, many of us started on good spiritual roads with the Lord Jesus and said, I want to go to church, this church for a certain reason. And then you get there, and there's a young lady there. And she's fine to you. And then the reason why you go now turns from gathering with the saints to getting with a chick. God always wants us to be careful of allowing ourselves to trust in his means rather than him. So many artists that love their artistry more than they love God. The reason why you first went into it was for the glory of God to be displayed. But as you got caught up in it being your provision, as you've gotten caught up in so many areas of that, you began to focus on the artistry rather than the eternal artist. What in your life, what in your life has God uniquely used? Because the water wasn't bad because God used the water. But the issue is, is when the water becomes the focus, then God has to Use something else that's out of our reach. And the healer was standing in front of his face, and he didn't recognize him. What in our lives have become such an idol, such a place of safety? It might even be a good thing, but it's turned into a bad thing because your passion for it is absent of Jesus Christ. Amen, lights and walls. But then he goes further and it says, Jesus said to him, arise, 
take up your pallet and walk. Arise, take up your pallet and walk. Jesus bypassed water in this passage and healed him without using the water. And what's unique about this miracle is the man didn't exercise faith. There's no faith in this passage. None. None. Jesus bypasses the water, heals him by command. Jesus wants to display. He's beginning to floss right now. And Jesus is beginning to floss as a sign on several levels that I, I have no time to unpack. It's, it, I mean, it take forever to unpack it. But one aspect of this sign is to show the fact that he is the one that will reboot all of creation by a command. And every passage that you look at, whether it's the, uh, the Synoptic Gospels or John, the person that Jesus Christ heals is always a picture of a bigger issue. And Jesus goes down to not just show that this man is an invalid, but that the nation of Israel is an invalid because it doesn't respond. It didn't respond to him. So he goes further down and it says, and immediately the man became well. There it is, healthy, and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now, can you imagine this guy, when he gets up, he stands up. We give him props for just standing up and being obedient, but the healing happened before his obedience. And so what happens is a pallet was like a, a, a piece of braided straw. What he did was he picked it up and rolled it up and walked. Now, he's picking up the thing that he's laid on for so many years that has been his place of rest for so many years, and Jesus says, pick that thing up, and I want you to now carry it. That's what Christ is calling us to do in commanding us to go to the next level in him. But then the Bible gives a beautiful statement that takes us to our next point. It says, now it was the Sabbath day. On that day, <laughs> Jesus seeks to bring total renewal to our lives. The Sabbath, let, let, let's explain the Sabbath because a lot of people don't, don't, don't understand what the Sabbath is before I get into that. The Sabbath was, of course, the seventh day, that's Saturday, that God rested from his labor. This, uh, 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 Exodus 31 says that when God was refreshed, that doesn't mean that, the, that God had to rest. It's just uh, what's called an anthropomorphism or taking the bigness of God and relating it to man so that we can understand the principle. Are you with me? And so it was made for refreshment. <clears throat> that's what the Sabbath is for. And the Sabbath was not only once the fall happened and, and God instituted the Sabbath um, for the children of Israel, the Sabbath was for the children of Israel to look back at what things were like before the fall 
and it was also to look for, because before the fall is a picture ultimately of what things would look like. So once a week, God wanted them to shut down every single thing. And when they shut down, all this is going somewhere. He wanted them to shut down everything so they can have a weekly picture of what it looked like to live eternally with God in rest. Hebrews says that when we trust Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4, we enter the rest of God. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the Sabbath was meant to look back and look forward and to see how you can express the reality of a redemptive picture. God starting everything over again. He want us to let that Saturday, he wanted it to be a snapshot. But what happened in their day, check out, it says, therefore, the Jews in verse 10 were saying to him, who, who, who was cured, is it the Sabbath and is it not permissible for you to carry your pallet? Now, understand this. They said permissible. This is key. They noticed they didn't say lawful. But they would stone someone to death. The Bible says that if someone breaks the Sabbath, they are to be stoned to death. So what they did is is because the Bible says cease from work. They developed adjacent rules to to uh, to to Tanakh or the or what we call the Old Testament, and they call these laws the Mishnah, the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there's a section called Shabbat, and in in Shabbat there there was it's Shabbat seven two. It names some things, and I'm saying this for a reason. You weren't supposed to sow. It was like thirty nine rules: plowing, reaping. Um, you weren't supposed to, uh, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, you just say selecting anything, grinding, sifting, netting, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, two loops. Now, you can make one loop, but if you make two, that's work. Um, Weaving two threads, not only that, but then separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing two stitches, tearing, strapping, slaughtering, flaying, salting meat, curing, uh, 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 curing, uh, 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 curing a hide, scraping hide, cutting hide, writing two letters. Like, if you write one letter, you were cool, but when you went to the second one, it was work. Erasing two letters, building. Uh, tearing tearing a, a, a building down, extinguishing a fire. So if somebody was on fire, you couldn't put them out. You said, dang, man. Man, if it was Monday, Sunday. <laughs> Kindling a fire. So you had to, look, you had to kindle the fire before the Sabbath started. But you couldn't keep the fire. I mean, just they were just tripping. And then it says, it says, take an object from the um, private domain to a public domain or transporting an object in a public domain. So when this dude rolled up his pallet, they were so consumed by the adjacent laws to the Sabbath that they couldn't see that something miraculous had happened to a guy. Can you imagine being such an invalid in your spiritual makeup that you over, you, you've made... N- not only your focus on the law or your focus, but now you have taken to a new level the things that you've added to God's truth and you've made it equal with God's truth. And you've so done that that it smothers and closes your ability to clearly see the work of God. Now, what's so funny is he wasn't breaking the Sabbath. 
He was breaking the law of the elders. And so because of that, they couldn't clearly see it. And, and, and I mean, this dude just punks out. I mean, it says in verse 11, it says, but he answered them. He, uh, he said, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who was the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But listen to this. It says, but he who was healed did not know who it was. John is using a narrative device to say that this man didn't know the person that did this work for him. But he was able to acknowledge that the work was done, but he wasn't able to acknowledge the one who did it. So many of us will say, God, I won't do it no more, Lord. Lord, if if you do it this time, If you do it this time, I'll never, ever do it again. Don't lie if you said that before. And what that points to, what's afterwards, we start doing again what we promised God that we didn't do, is we wanted a better state of affairs, but we didn't, we weren't really grieved and repentant about our sin. Many of us want things to be better, but we don't want to repent. Many of us don't want to turn away from it anymore. We just want the welfare of our lives to be better. So we begin to make a bunch of promises to God. And this guy, just like him, many of us want the blessings of God without knowing the blesser who is God. It doesn't work that way. And then it goes and it says... For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in the place. Now, I can't, I mean, like, being a crowd in a place, can you imagine somebody running when there's not a crowd? I mean, Jesus does some stuff that, that's just a trip to me. But it says that afterwards, this, this, is, this, this, is, this is dope here. It says, and afterwards, we're going to get ready in here. Jesus found him in the temple. So the guy actually left this place and said to him behold you have become well do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you so that nothing worse may befall you jesus calls us to repentance in order that we might avoid temporal or eternal consequences jesus tells this guy listen 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 What I did for you was deeper than me physically healing you. But what I was doing in your life was trying to get you in the place of repentance to turn from your sin and turn to God. The reason why many times God blesses us is to get, sometimes God will pre-bless us as a picture of what continued relationship would look like with him if we would just repent. And then we take that and we trample on his grace and say, well, if God will just still bless me while I act a fool, I'll continue to act a fool. But no, Jesus says, don't sin anymore unless something worse happens to you, 
I like the way the Bible says when, when they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It says that when, 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 when this demon was cast out of a person, G- Jesus says, listen, if, if a demon is cast out of a person and they don't replace that with the Spirit of God, then what will happen is, is that the demon will come back with seven more demons, seven times worse than that demon, and come in and bring a, 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 a death to a person's life, mess it up even worse. Jesus tells this guy, look, if it, look, listen, if you don't want anything worse to befall you, then he's not just saying a particular sin. He's talking about a lifestyle of sin, of not wanting to get well. But not only that, it's eternal consequences. For the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, for you, it's not just temporal consequences. It's now consequences and eternal, eternal consequences. Now consequences and eternal consequences. So it says the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. He feared for his life because he thought they were going to stone him. So instead of responding to Jesus, he didn't. Didn't repent. He went and dropped down because he wasn't willing to lose his life. Do you want to get well? Do you want your life to be different? Do you want to stop crying about the same stuff you've been crying about for years? Do you want Christ to give you a renewed vigor for your salvation? That means that you're running hard with the Christ. God has a lot of banging demands on us that getting well will make us demand because discipline is a big thing. We have to be disciplined. The big issue is, in all of that, God wants us to turn from being spiritual invalids to being able to be comprehensively well. In every area of life, the glimmer of God's eternal picture, touching it, touching it. Does someone want good hygiene today? That's what the text says. I word for where we get hygiene from. Do we want good, comprehensive hygiene? And Jesus in our next time when we get together is going to flaw something way bigger than this about himself and show what this picture was about. But today he's calling someone in here to admit that you're in a jacked up place, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. And to now trust him to bring shalom to that area of your life or to your life as a whole. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is our peace.